All right, we back in the box. Man, we here for another episode. Uh, we have Ben Coleman, veteran audio engineer. Oh, man, the show is going to be a burner tonight, man. This is our last show um, to the new season start when we got some surprises, man, coming along the way as well. Uh, we got a great show, man, play, play, playing for you. All right. Let's do it. Let's do it. What's going on with you, D-Ray? You good, man? man? Survived another week, brother. We made it. We here. Man, got your Puma hat on and everything, man. Yeah, that, man. That mean we really finna go in tonight. Hey, we about to jump. Them. Make, make them jump, boy. Make them jump. We gonna be right back in a second. Fundamentals and build blocks. Turn to advice when I'm in that spot. And I got questions and that's a lot. Perfect time to hear from Rico in the box. All right, man. All right. That is one of the dopest intros in podcast history. I said it first. <laughs> I love that intro. Man, shout out to Demetrius Daniels, man, on the on the bars, man. Man, I love it. This dope. We got some we got some dope stuff coming. We got some new stuff coming. Uh before we get ready to get going, man, we want to take care of a few housekeeping. Uh I want to say it's first, man, Demi Day. If you haven't had a chance to check out Demi Day, man, she is my number one female rapper, man. She's like, she's dope. Uh, I like her, man. She's down to earth. She's she good people, man. Uh, go check her out, man. And actually, D-Ray happens to manage her. All right? And uh, so, once you check out, man, when you get an opportunity. Also, oh, man, this is going to be good. Uh, my dude, man, Claude Deuce. Go check Deuce. out Always There. Deuce. Deuce, Deuce, man. We're glad to have we, the man. Go check him out, man. He's extraordinary, man. He's been doing it a long time as well. And if you if you didn't know, we are on Roku and Amazon. This is the pick that you'll go. If you go to if you go to Roku, you go, I mean, if you go to Amazon, you go to the search bar, you type in uh, in the box in the search bar, it's going to bring up a great box label, uh, apps and games. You actually click on that, you're going to see it. And then it's easier on the Roku side. So we just go to the app channel and just type in the name of the show and then the show will come up. So a couple things, right? We actually have a new producer of the show and casting director, Jayla Trina. Oh, uh, hi. So she's going to be uh, you know, we, on our new season, man. It's going to start, man, October the second, man. We are already kind of booked up, man. Uh, you know, we expanded, doing some great things, man. So uh, you will be seeing her as well. Uh, she's very, very big in Atlanta, man. She's been doing, she's been on radio for a lot of years. Uh, so she's very, very plugged in, man. So, uh, other thing, man, uh, we actually are actually planning to, to do another component of the show in January 2021. I'm going to be doing some, because the, the pandemic kind of locked us down and we yeah. wasn't able to really do a whole lot because of the pandemic. We had to stay in the house. So I'm going to be doing some on location interview one-on-ones in different places. Nice. Um, as soon as man, we can. What's going on? Is my brother there? I, I'm saving you for last. Got my brother. <laughs> you know, what I'm saying? I, I got something for you, bro. You know, because this is the thing. Uh, we want to kind of expand the show, man. We want you to enjoy it as well. Now, before we get ready to bring Ben in, uh, y'all know last week. What's up? That she is. What's going on, Joseph? Glad to have you, man. God is already expanding. Um, 
last week, man, we talked about we talked a little bit man, about the, the, <laughs> the machine plus, right? All right, we talked about the machine plus, the machine plus coming out. You know, it's fourteen hundred and ninety-nine dollars. And I know my brother Ricky, that's who in the chat. You see, you you see, you actually just saw him in the chat. Here. Let me go and pull it up. You just seen him. You just seen him in the chat, right? So that's my brother. So we was talking about. He's like, he gonna get. It. I'm not gonna get it because I have the MK2 and the MK3. I'm not gonna get the the Machine Plus. You know, I'm just gonna keep using my MK3. But I'm gonna throw something else in the mix, on you guys. If you hadn't already know, the PS5 is dropping. It's five hundred dollars. I thought it was gonna be more than that. So you're gonna have a big dilemma because you got the Xbox X series. Dropping mm. as well. Um, I, I think I think he came in. He told my he told my bro. The complicated, the complicated things. The complicated thing because now you gonna have to figure out: Am I gonna get the the machine plus the Xbox S? Because we both have both games. We both have Xbox Ones and PS Fours. So the dilemma is gonna be. There's somebody, somebody gonna be spending a whole lot of money because I know I'm gonna get two out of the three. I'm not getting the Machine Plus, but I'm probably gonna get Xbox X and the PS5. We gamers up in here. D-Ray, you know, his wife is over there. She ain't saying too much. No, if y'all know, if you listen real close to D-Ray when we doing the show, you're gonna hear the Xbox man come on and off. You'll hear it. I'll be talking to him on the phone. <laughs> And I'm like, how 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 can you listen to my conversation? And I hear the Xbox coming on and off, dude. You ain't listening. See, that's D Ray. Or either he gonna blame it on me. You know what I'm saying? See, see, see you waited till the last show of the season to out me. That's all right, because as Bugs see, Bunny would say, of course you know this means war. See, see, listen, mm -hmm. what, what Ricky just said, and I'm getting the Xbox too. I already know. We 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 actually said, man, that you was gonna get the machine. You probably had a machine on order. Man. You just ain't you ain't on the show tonight, but you you probably gonna have it there, man, by Sunday. So I have no Look, doubt. I, I need to get my BMI royalty checks up, man, because y'all burning through royalty checks like like what? I'm just hoping my Xbox One don't die. Cause y'all up here done moved on. I'm just you know, I, my Xbox One is on wobbly legs and, and band-aids. Oh, I'm just hoping it don't die. Hey, you, 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 you got to get both of them, man. Got to get both, man. Got to get both, man. You know. So, but, but, uh, see, Ricky just said, see, now you just see, now you got, now you got the wife on my neck. See? Dude. That's what you did. See, you get him, get, get him, Bill. You know. Yeah, he talking about, he say, he say he ain't got it yet. It's going to come. Because I got Demetrius. Demetrius, hold on. Let me shout out Demetrius. Because Demetrius, you know, went on a fast for video gaming. And he oh, threw away all his gaming stuff. So he would call me the rapper man that's on the intro, my dude. No mm. rapper. But uh he would call me, man. I'll be playing, man. I'll be playing Grand Theft Auto. I play Forza 7. I played Madden. Mm. Right. So he called me. And every time he called me, man, what happened when I'm down between mixes between working and stuff, and I'll be playing. This cat done went and ordered Tony, Tony Hawk 2 skater. Mm. And uh, so I know he kind of reeled it, man. So anyway, that's enough game. See, see, Rico, you see what you did. See, you see what you just did. 
You see what you just did. Pico has no remorse about y'all's wife trouble. <laughs> you see, you did that. That's all you, bro. Boy, boy, boy. Don't blame me. My, my wife a gamer too, so I, you know. Mm. He came mm. in there and said, when you going to get me Nintendo Switch? I'm going to get it. Mm. Mm. Got her Xbox. You know, she gave the Xbox away. Mm. Mm. You don't give your Xbox away. Well, my wife would give her, man. She'd be giving everything out. So without further ado, we get ready to bring in the man himself, Ben Coleman. Mr. Coleman, nice to see you, hey, sir. Man. How you guys? Man, we doing great, man. Glad to have you. So uh, let me see. We got a comment up in here. Rich, he's still talking about he's, I know, we, we, we already know you're going to get it. We already know you're going to get it. Mr. Coleman. Yes, sir. You out of North Carolina? Say again? You, you in Atlanta. You from, you from Atlanta or you from North Carolina? Where you from? I'm originally from North Carolina, but uh, moved to Atlanta in 2015. Been okay. down here a few years. So, so you, so you, you, you from the stumping ground from where Danny is. What part of North Carolina yeah. are you from? The big city of Winston Salem. I am from the big city of hey, High Point. Yes. Speaking to me, High Point. Yeah, about yes, twenty minutes. Right 15, down three. Right down three eleven. Yes, sir. Yep. You in so, Fantasia? Oh boy, yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> how did you? How did you? What? What? What made you move to Atlanta? What? What kind of prompted to move to Atlanta? So, my, uh, full time, I work with warehouse automation, and at the time, I was working for FedEx. Okay. I was working for FedEx uh, at their uh, hub in Greensboro. Got promoted to a manager position uh, in Norcross, technically, and uh, so moved me and the family down here. I knew Atlanta was a big entertainment town. And my passion is really in audio. So I just, I let them pay to move me down here. Um, and then um, here I am. Well, Mr. Mr. Coleman, I, I, I'm going to listen to everything you have to say because I got to get my BMI checks up so I can get these devices uh -huh. like like Rico and, and, and Brother Ricky. <laughs> Pastor Ricky, because I... I my my BM my last BMI check was fifty eight cents, so I I wouldn't be able to, I can't, I can't even get a drink of water for that. So I'm gonna need to listen to everything you got to say. Man, uh, listen, you got to start. You you got to start. My my first BMI check was like twenty nine cents, man. Back then it was twenty nine cents. I was just so happy, man, to get something. You know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you go, man. You be more than me. You doing? You got Demi Day, bro. Doing two in two years. I did two years. Two years, man, you'll you'll be a millionaire. Just I'm, off I'm, I'm a receive that, brother. Yeah. Ain't nothing else, just off Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Touching and agreeing. Touching and agreeing, man. Amen. He's a dope artist. But tell me this, uh, uh man. So you 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 started audio engineering, but I want to talk about man, what prompts you? What you know, how did audio engineering become your passion? Because you know, out of all the things when it comes to a musical space, audio engineering. It's not popular, although we all three of us are audio engineers, right? I guess out of the out of default of not wanting to pay other people or wanting to get in the sound that you I ain't gonna say not wanting to pay other people, but when you pay someone something and you still can't get the sound that you're looking for, right? Right. right. It kind of prompts you to start twisting knobs, you know. You start reading tutorials and you know, learn how to use gear. 
why you need to use gear, understand the signal flow. But I want I want to take I want you to take us all the way back. All the way back. Whoa. All the way back from the beginning decision to say, because there's it has to be unique, man, for someone to say, I desire to be an audio engineer, because it's the most unpopular position to play <laughs> yeah. in the music space. Especially right? when you mess up. Especially when you mess up. Especially when you mess up, yeah. So uh, I actually started in uh, in video back when I was uh, around nine years old. My dad started a video production company. Uh, and so we were videoing everything from weddings to church services. Um, so that, that got me into production. I mean, back then I did videos for people like John Key for commission back in the day. Um, pretty, pretty much everybody, Orlando Draper, um, Donald Lawrence, uh, all those folks. I was I was sitting around the camera as a child. So that's where I got my my uh, my feet wet as far as production. Then when I was around 13 years old, I started playing drums at a small church and uh, really small church. So small that I had a soundboard sitting right there beside the drums. So I basically learned how to do play drums and uh, sound. I was doing sound at the same time. The main speaker was about about right here above my head. Mm -hmm. uh, that small. Uh, and so that's that's really where I got my little eight channel powered mixer. Uh, learned really quick how to not make stuff feedback, that sort of thing. And from there, just 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 kind of kept going. Um, moved on to uh, a bigger uh, church after that a church called Union Baptist. I don't know. D. Ray started Union Baptist and went to Salem with Dr. Sir Walter Mack. Mm -hmm. uh, started doing sound there. My first time on a big old soundboard, 40 channel mixer. Uh, so that, that got me. Um, Help me! I had to set my game up then. You know, I had uh, a full band in the mix there. I had vocal mics, uh, seven or eight vocals plus choir mics. I think that sanctuary seats around twelve hundred people. Mm -hmm. So that was my first experience with with uh, with big sound boards. And then while I was there, a guy named Garrett Davis. Garrett Davis does stage plays, and uh, mm -hmm. he was there at Union at the same time. So yep. Garrett got me out on the road doing stage plays. I did. We did plays everywhere from D.C to Baltimore a couple times, did uh, Fox Theater here in Atlanta. <clears throat> uh, pretty, pretty big shows there. Um, and then at the same time, I was doing some corporate band work, uh, doing weddings, that, that sort of thing. Uh, and pretty much I've just been doing churches, corporate bands, um, then moving to Atlanta. Of course, there's a lot of local venues that do live bands. So that's kind of been my, my life here the last several years. So I actually uh, I actually uh, got my start, man, audio engineer, and I was doing I was actually did backline for okay. uh, a company here, Michael Harris, <clears throat> and going in, you know, of course, when you I'm a drummer, I play all brass instruments, drums and piano, but there's a vast difference when you're going in setting up the stage for different groups, you know, yep. and and you you're going in and you you're setting up pianos. You know, coming in and trying to make sure that they're set the program properly. You know what I mean? Making sure the drums are mic properly. You know, when you have five drummers that you're gonna have to bring up and they all man, you know, having, you know, a ten plus <laughs> ten plus kit, you're breaking it down. <laughs> yeah. You you know, everybody had their own mics. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And you, yeah, it's yeah. easy when you can just set up one set and everybody play the same set and the drummer just switch out their snare drum, but you know, a lot of those, of course, you know, don't take you that, man. You do big shows. Everybody come in. They want to bring in their own equipment. Um, what was your life like doing backline? What was some what was some life lessons 
that you learn doing backline. Well, and I, I haven't done so much, uh, as much of the uh, the big stage stuff. Most of my stuff has been, like I say, st- things like stage plays, uh, not so much big concerts, but uh, just dealing with musicians. It's a similar scenario doing these uh, uh, venues around Atlanta. It's like you say, every 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 musician wants something different. But going back to the, the question of why did I get into audio, I, I got into audio because of what you said. Um, people are not getting what they need. And I, I sat and watched that conversation happen back and forth between audio engineer and the artist and that just disconnect between the stage and the soundboard. And so my my where I hang my hat as an engineer is is developing a relationship with the artist. I play drums so I can relate when the drummer needs a certain something in his mix. Uh, and just being a musician, you can just kind of relate to what a musician needs. And I, I'm a servant, servant by heart. Like I say, my, I, I cut my teeth in, in church. Uh, so I'm a servant by heart. So that's that's what I'm always trying to do. I'm trying to serve, serve that artist. Uh, the most important thing is that that show goes on, whether it's a worship service or whether it's a, a birthday party, a wedding, whatever. The, the important thing is that show goes and that the, the artists on stage are comfortable. If they're comfortable, if their mix is good, and they're going to put out better than uh, than they would if if they're distracted uh, because it's not good. How do you um, how do you attack your mix? Do you you know once you get you getting everything mic'd up and, you, and your your signal flow is where it needs to be? How what do you what do you focus in on first? Do you focus in on drums? Do you focus in on the singer who refuses to to not sing loud, um, <laughs> or, or do you 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 know you you keep in mind that do you have someone that's telling you that they can't hear themselves when you already know that you're almost peaking? Where do, yeah. where do where do you focus your on your mix? Where do you start? Where do you start? So I, I love to focus on setup. A lot of times, if you if you set up well. Uh, it kind of helps you avoid some of the issues that you're having to fix things in the mix. So I try to make sure the monitors are pointing in the right direction. A prime example is a three-piece band I do pretty often. Uh, I know for a fact that the, the, the guy up front doesn't want to hear what's blasting out of the keyboard mix. So I will make sure that I point that, that keyboard monitor in the direction for the, the keyboard player to hear, but I don't have it pointed over towards the, the guy up front. Uh, things like that. Um, set your monitors up so that they're not pointing into your microphones to avoid some feedback. Uh, and then from there, uh, it, it's just the basics. I make I, I'm a less is more type of engineer. Uh, I've, I've shadowed some some experienced engineers that as pure as that sound can come out of the PA. That's that's all I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to add too much. I'm not trying to take too much away. So probably the, I, I focus on the simplicity. Uh, use a good gear as much as possible. I, I travel with my own. Uh, drum mics, for example, uh, I, uh, I, I joke with the guy about my uh, my Sennheiser wireless mic. I carry the thing with me everywhere. I've set the frequency on it twice since I've had it for over the last year, um, and it's just I, 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 I took the time to pick the right mic, so I'm not having to fight it all the time. Uh, so, like I say, I focus on eliminate all those equipment distractions up front, and then from the mix, like I say, I, I use uh, the basics. Um, I try to reproduce, for instance, a kick drum, however that kick drum sta- sounds when I'm standing in front of it. Again, learn this from experienced engineer. That's how it needs to sound coming out of the PA. Uh, there's times I deviate from that. If it's a if it's a, a dance song, I might add a little bit more boom to the kick. But in general, it's going to sound like it does up close. Same thing with toms. Uh, every now and then I have to work with the drummer and say, hey, can you take a little <coughs> bit of this ring out for a minute? It's a little bit too much, uh, that sort of thing. 
but again, trying to keep everything as natural as possible. I want to jump in and say, Shamika just said, I think audio engineering is such a special gift that requires you to be in tune with more than just a sound, but also quiet so you can get a divine connection for the task. Like, I, I want to say, man, that is that is spot on. Because um, if you even, you know, we're talking about performance mixing or live mixing, but even when you're mixing a song down in the studio, you have to you have to listen. You got to listen to the song. Yeah. You you have to see what the song is doing. Number one, um, you know, in mixing, we always talk about mixing by the numbers and mixing by the ears. And when I try to explain, you know, when it comes to mixing by the mixing by the numbers versus mixing by the ears, mixing by the numbers depends on the type of rig you got, right? Right. Uh, because you know, de depending on what what you set your ratio, what you set your threshold. If you if you're on a Windows computer, those numbers are not gonna be the right way a lot of times. It's not gonna right. produce the same sound. You know, so what I do, you know, of course, although I know how to mix by the numbers, but you know, of course, we mix by the ears. A great engineer really becomes one with the song that he's engineering. And yeah. live engineering is a different level of respect. Because in the studio, you know, we got time, we can get up and we can walk away. <laughs> We yeah. we can come back, right? You yeah. know, I got one but, shot. Right. And, and when you do a live, you know, and something happens, not only do you need to know your equipment that you own, right? You gotta know how to fix it really fast, but you're having to keep everything level, you know, making everybody sound crisp and clean. And it's just not as easy as talk about that, you know, talk about. I, 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 give us some life lessons, some life lessons that you learned mixing live. No matter how you did, what what were some things that what, did, what tell us about some of the embarrassing moments and why you were embarrassed, yeah. right? And yeah. let's, let's 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 walk us through some of those moments and, and when it comes to sound and how you were embarrassed and how did you correct? Okay, so we'll, we'll talk about the embarrassed first, and then that way people won't remember what I'm saying. <laughs> All right, so. <laughs> Uh, uh, mixing sound, uh, while I was in, in North Carolina, right, right before we moved, I was mixing sound at a church called Agape Faith. Uh, Agape Faith is a, uh, a, a church that did, does more of the contemporary Christian type style of music. Um, and I know that church, I know that church very well. Yep, I mixed on their Yamaha M7 and there. Uh, awesome people, awesome church, pretty, pretty good rig. Um, but, um, and so that that challenged me in a lot of areas, having three guitars on stage. Uh, 10 mics on a drum kit, I believe. Uh, yeah, it was it was a challenging room. Uh, it was kind of a funny, funny joke. They had flags up. This church was founded, uh, I believe, in the 70s or 80s. Uh, so they had the international flags. I remember when the flags were big in those churches. Mm -hmm, um, but mm -hmm. those were actually soundproof in the room. And someone decided, hey, we need to take those flags down to be more more uh, up to date. But that, that changed the dynamics of the room when they did that. But embarrassing moment. So uh, Particular Sunday guitars tend to be noisy. So, uh, and also contemporary Christian music, there's always a guitar solo in the bridge. Like always, there's always gonna be a guitar solo in the bridge. Uh, so uh, I had a noisy guitar that Sunday morning, so I muted the guitar and lo and behold, we, we kick out the first song. First song has a guitar intro and that guitar still muted. So guitar players playing and I'm thinking, hey, this doesn't sound right. Looking around, oh, it's just muted, unmuted it. So 
Yeah, that was kind of an embarrassing moment. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, but so, uh, go going ahead. to going to uh, the approach of the mix, you mentioned earlier about knowing the song. Uh, again, th this is one of the things that I believe distinguishes me from other musicians is I love music. Like going back to when I was a kid, when I was nine years old, my dad bought me those school tape recorders, cassette players, you know, with the buttons across the front. It was kind of long. Uh, my dad bought me one of those. And at, at, from nine years old, I enjoy just listening to music. And so I spent a, a lot of time training my ears. I didn't really realize I was doing it at the time, but I was training my ears to hear what the mix was supposed to sound like. Um, so, and I've continued that on, on that. I was doing a church in Charlotte, uh, a portable church called Nikeo. I was bouncing between here and um, here in Charlotte there for about a year and a half, two years, I believe, doing that church. And while I was driving up, I would listen to their set list. So by the time I got there and got ready to mix that set, it had become part of me, uh, both from a worship aspect and from a musical aspect. I knew where the solos were. I knew where the melody, where there was a little melody part on the, on, the, on the keyboard. I knew when I needed to bring that key, to bring the keys up slightly, bring it back out. And that, that's part of the, the, the really, what I believe is gifting and, and mixing is, especially when you go back and listen to like old, old simple recordings, uh, it was like very basic details that define mm -hmm. a song. Um, and, and that brings up another point that, I, if, that every song has, has that one thing. Uh, whether it's uh, uh, Stevie Wonder's uh, that his keyboard sound, every song, a guitar, uh, acoustic yep. mm -hmm. strumming mm -hmm. guitar on some songs, every every song has that detail that defines that song. If you take it out, then the song doesn't sound the same. And I think, especially when you're mixing people that are that are covering music, very very important for you to understand how that song was originally recorded, so that you can bring out those same details that were in the original recording, so people naturally connect with it because it sounds like it did when they heard it the first time. Well, you know, when you listen to Al Green, we hear Mitchell Green, the organ player, you know, and when you're, that's what, that was dominant in Al's early music. And to, yeah. to, to hear his music, you know, in the, because there are some songs, that he, there are some albums he's done. He didn't have Mitchell Green, and it didn't sound like Al Green, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. because Mitchell Green playing that organ is what made the Al sound. So you're absolutely right when you say that every song, you know, has that thing. And, and being an engineer, you have to kind of listen to each instrument to know, you know, and it helps, you know, when you're a multi-instrumentalist, it helps yeah. because you know how the transients need to be. You know how it needs to sound, how it needs to sit in the mix. You know, me and Danny talk, you know, we both played in the band. We, you know, I was brass, you know, although I'm a drummer, you know, saxophone player, you know, okay. and even even when I'm producing music now, I go back to some of my earlier education, you know, and it helps, you know, when I'm mixed in nowhere, you know, so you know where the, the, the instrument instrument placement. Talk about instrument placement in the mix. Okay. You know, how 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 can you help give a couple tips to help, you know, up and coming engineers that really want to be engineers. Help them, give them your process of instrument placement in the mix. And, you know, because, you know, when it comes to engineering, every engineer has a, has a it's like a paintbrush in the canvas. We all yes. have our, we, we, we kind of paint our own strokes, but give your take on instrument placement. Yeah, so uh, again, it, it's, this is, of course, it's going to depend on the genre of music. 
uh, coming up in gospel, gospel funk, that it's going to be bass guitar, you know, bass guitar and drums are, are driving the song. Um, so they're going to be the basically the foundation of that mix. Uh, when, when I was doing more gospel church type stuff, um, then the vocals would be significantly higher than uh, the rest of the band. I mean, in the old days, churches might not even have the band coming through the PA. They'd all be playing it out of their own rigs and then you just have vocals. So the gospel sound, that really was kind of the gospel sound that everyone was accustomed to. And even now it still kind of carries over. Uh, mixing contemporary Christian, you find that the vocals tend to be tucked down more into the mix. Um, so in general, I kind of cheat uh, and because I've, I've mixed uh, both styles, I kind of cheat and I kind of blend those. Um, in, in general, the, the drums and the bass guitar are, are going to be prominent. Again, I'm a drummer. Um, so like some of these, even a small gig, a lot of times a, an engineer wants to, to go with, hey, just throw an overhead over the drums and mm -hmm. throw a, a kick drum, uh, kick back on there and be done with it. Whereas I tend to not use an overhead in a small gig. I'll just, I'll mic the toms. Uh, mark, mark the snare usually if needed, mic the kick drum, because that gives me the detail I need out of the drum kit. The other cool thing about that is it helps me to control the volume. Um, you, you, a mix doesn't have to be loud in order to be good. In general, um, it's, it's how well you blend those instruments that are going to determine how good that mix is going to sound. So like I say, it just kind of depends on the drum, the genre, but in general, the drums are going to be, uh, drums and bass guitar are going to be the foundation. Uh, contemporary Christian is more guitar driven. So the guitars are going to be kind of thick. Um, uh, also do things with EQ. You guys know this, but for, for those that may not know, you, you need to understand the EQ, uh, the natural sound of an instrument. Every instrument has natural frequencies uh, that exist for that, that, uh, that instrument. And if, if you are a sax player and you're just playing in a, in a room by yourself, you know, that thing is going to be wide open. You're going to hear every frequency come out of that sax. If you're trying to take a sax uh, and fit it into a mix with a whole bunch of other instruments, you might need to EQ that sax slightly different just so it fits into the mix properly. Uh, and there's little things like maybe slightly thinning. Uh, Ronald, how you doing, man? Oh, that's an old old North Carolina guy. Uh, yeah, so um, with EQ it makes a huge difference in how effective your mix can be. Uh, if you if you get your EQ right, go ahead. I was just gonna say he know who you are, Ron. He just called you. Yeah. <laughs> hey, 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 Ronald. Hey, I was just just thinking, man. I miss doing. Uh, we was always doing these uh, these local band gigs back in North Carolina when I was there. I really, really missed that. Uh, I mean, I'm doing the secular stuff down here now, and, I, and I'm enjoying it. But man, I miss that that Christian, you know, Christian hip hop. Uh, it's hard to find that stuff around Atlanta. So hey. You need to bring that show down here on the road, man. Look, if you if you um, if, if you just not joined us, you know, in the box, you know, we got Ben Coleman here, audio engineer. Um, and you know, if you can share the show out, uh, D Ray, go ahead and say what you're gonna say, and then once yeah. you say what you're gonna say, man, going into the news because we know we got a couple of things okay. we want want to tap. Absolutely. Um, you know, as an audio engineer, I'm one that I like to listen to other audio engineers, especially, you know, back in the day when I was learning. Um, my favorite engineer to listen to was Tom Dowd. Um, and for, for people who don't know who Tom Dowd was, from 1947 to right around 2002, right before he died, he was the audio main audio engineer for Atlantic Records. So if you can wow. think about everybody that recorded from Atlantic Records in the 20th century almost, 
he was the one doing his uh, doing their uh, records. So my question to you is, were there any engineers that you studied that um, that that, you know, you kind of, you know, learn something from or was there somebody that you kind of maybe patterned your style after? Yes, yeah, so there's a guy named Robert Scoville. Robert Scoville, uh, the, the quote of the sound engineer is, I've never heard anyone walk away from a show humming the kick drum. And uh, he's making the point that as an engineer, that's real. Spend, that's real. We will, we will spend a goofy amount of time trying to make that kick drum sound just right. Uh, but the reality is when people walk away from a show, they remember an experience. Uh, and I think right. that's, that just kind of helps us to put things in perspective. We, we work on those details. But the reality is, if you guys, yeah, if you guys are at my show, you're going to be listening for the details. But in, in general, people are going to be listening for the experience. Yeah. Uh, that kind of keeps keeps that in perspective. Uh, so Robert Scoville, uh, back in North Carolina, uh, not sure if you, uh, D-Ray, if you've ever heard of uh, uh, Winston-Salem's First Assembly. I think they changed the name to Winston-Salem First. So a dude named, uh, named Travis, Travis Reasoner. Uh, he pulled me in. And uh, I, I was actually having uh, a lot of personal issues at the time. Um, and he was doing sound up at at first, but he also uh, was doing a lot of big stuff. He was doing uh, Joyce Meyer conventions, Franklin Graham. He was doing a, a lot of big shows out on the road, mm -hmm. but he kind of pulled me uh, under his ring and I just sat and listened to him. I'd every now and then, it wasn't like a, a class per mm -hmm. se, mm -hmm. but I would just shadow him. I'd hang out with him on Wednesday nights while he mixed his mixed worship at his church. Right. Um, so he really, really, really helped me. I learned a lot watching him. Mm -hmm. um, and there's many, I mean, Marty, uh, a sound engineer for uh, World Overcomers, uh, awesome, awesome. I mean, he's he's a world class engineer. Learned a lot listening to his mix uh, a couple times when I was there. Uh, so so yeah, that, I've had a, a few influences. Dave Rat, Dave Rat, uh, uh, he's on YouTube. Spent a lot of time listening because he's. I, I love the fact that he's a really simplistic engineer. And again, going back to my style of being keeping things simple. Uh, so yeah, those are some of my influences. Okay, that's awesome, man. So going into the news, um, we 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 we're going to probably touch on uh, Kanye in just a second, but I, I feel the need to go on a small little rant here. So y'all gonna have to forgive me. Very important, something that you guys need to know. Yeah, yeah, and we so so I need y'all to really really listen up. Um, in the news, it was just released today that TikTok, the there you know we've been talking that uh, there were some deals that were in the works from Microsoft and from Walmart that was, they were trying to save TikTok as a platform, you know, it's a Chinese based company. Well, those deals fell through. And so as of Sunday, TikTok will be officially banned in the United States. It's already banned on most of the app stores on mobile devices. And if you already have it on your phone, it probably won't work right now. Um, so I want you to keep that in the back of your brain. Um, also, this evening, uh, we lost a Supreme Court judge, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, she was 87. She passed away. And so now there is an opening on the Supreme Court that Republicans in the Senate are going to try to nominate someone and get them appointed to the Supreme Court before the election, something they, that they wouldn't let President Obama do in the past. The reason that I'm bringing this up is because not so much as to get you stoked or get you get you um, talking about other socio-political issues. You know, we'll leave you for that. But as it pertains to independent music, you really need to pay attention to what's going on. 
One one thing is in particular is the um, Music Modernization Act that was passed a few years ago. That was going to that's, that was passed to allow for songwriters to get higher royalty payments. Um, and basically, um, the, the the act was changing the way that songwriters and publishers pay statutory mechanical royalties when you when works are streamed on Apple Music or Spotify or Amazon or whatever. So beginning in 2021, there's a nonprofit entity designated by the Copyright Office, and it's called the Mechanical Licensing Collective or the MLC. And this office is going to be responsible for these new royalty payments, okay? Um, and some of this, some of this stuff is going to start in 2021, but it's going to really start kicking in in 2023. Now, why did I bring up all of that as it pertains to a Supreme Court judge passing away and TikTok? Well, the current political person climate is lending itself that there is an, it seems to be an open season on the arts, particularly yeah. independent music. Ruth Bader Ginsburg was a champion of the arts. She was real big in theater, in, in music, and she really had a heart for musicians. So if you set up a hypothetical situation where some you, you need to legislate something regarding copyrights, and you're going to a court that traditionally cuts art funding first, their political platform cut, cuts money in the arts. You really need to ask yourself how serious you need to take this next election. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. No one on this panel is going to tell you who to vote for. But I implore independent musicians, independent content creators, entrepreneurs, you need to start paying attention because it's getting real. It's already yeah. real, but it's getting really real. I'm going to say, man, you know, you know, just kind of being aware, man, what's happening. It seems like there's a war on independent art, right. right? You know, when we look at the age of technology where we are right now, um, this is the great time to be an independent artist. That's right. And why independent artists want to go and sign a major deal? If you understood music and where music was heading, if you understand the benefit of being independent and your money sources, you would never want to do a deal. And what I see when I look at a lot of different, even with Kanye, now we're going to get into the Kanye contracts. You know, we, we talked about uh, Spotify, you know, trying to become a power, you know, listening to Joe Budden, you know, and how Joe wouldn't do a deal because they actually wanted to come in and buy his show when he created his own show. And as an independent, if you, and I'm talking about an independent artist that's, that's vital. I'm not talking about you, right? I'm not talking about you cats, man, that sample. You ain't got no skill. You can't make no music. You're just taking what somebody else created and you just kind of making a collage, right? I'm talking to the creators that can create music. You know, that's your legacy, right? Yes. That's how you're going to take care of your kids, your grandkids. You know, uh, I grew up in Macon, Georgia, uh, and I had a firsthand understanding of how royalties work. When I, when Otis Red, my, my, my dad was, was close friends uh, with Frank, Otis's brother. And I ended up being close friends when growing up 
with Dexter. And like Dexter was 16. I'm saying Dexter, he's 16, which is oldest his son. He's driving a Porsche at 16, right? You know, and why was he able to drive a Porsche at 16? I was publishing, man. His dad is money, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> what am I saying? Your music is your legacy. And just because you're not able to get what you want for your music right now, it don't matter if you got to take and catalog your music for 10 years and wait until you, sometimes it may mean you may have to hook up with somebody that's way smarter than you are to kind of give you direction, you know, but you need to be able to control your creations, right? Because this is what we're talking about with, you know, this is what we're talking about in the future. This is what we're talking about with TikTok, you know? And when you look at, I look at the TikTok situation, you know, we know as a China-owned company, right? Mm -hmm. We know understand they have some data that kind of spying on data, right? Mm -hmm. The government stepped in and said, hey, you're going to sell it to us or we're going to block it. Now, when I take that, right, let's take that scenario to you being an independent artist and you're making money without major labels being connected to you. What do they do? They're coming in trying to buy up the streaming platforms to stop you from making money. Yeah. You know, but I'm gonna stop right there. I'm gonna let yeah. y'all No, you're 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 hitting on it. I know you're trying to be nice, but you're hitting on it, and and it's really an attack on your revenue streams. And it is an attack on your legacy. I mean, even Mr. Coleman, you know, think about what he just said, who he first learned from. He learned from his dad, yeah. right? He learned skills from his father. So if you don't have that kind of legacy that you can leave, you know, it's almost like, um, you know, no, you, they don't want you to be independent. They don't they don't want you to get that. They want you to buy into the corporate to the corporate nonsense because, you know, corporations are not trying to pay you and or they're trying to pay you. But don't they don't want you to have enough to leave for anybody else. And yeah. so I the only thing I'm imploring anybody that is a content creator if you build platforms, if you want to create media empires, please pay attention to the political climate, you know, and because if you don't, you won't have a whole lot to complain about later. So that's my rant on that particular situation. Now, let's talk about Kanye for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> what a segue. <laughs> what? I mean, really, right? I'm gonna take the high road. I'm gonna take the high road. I'm gonna be nice because you know, I I was I was a, 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 a I wouldn't say a big Kanye fan, but I really respected his production up until a point. And um, I won't get into reasons as to what happened that caused me to say mm, no. But you know, we're talking about one of the articles that that sort of uh, crossed our path. And, and that we, we were having discussions about was this article about Jay-Z. Um, let's see, let me see if I can, I can find it. Uh, Jay-Z, Jay when, when he was with uh, Rock Nation, uh, apparently leveraged Kanye's first album, first few albums. First, first six. First six, six albums, yeah. Leveraged those in an effort to make sure that he had his own masters. And, and he still can't get him back for 10 years. Right. But he, just, but he threw Kanye to the wolves. Yeah, he threw kind of threw Kanye to the wolves. Now, so I read that article, and then I, I, I had, you know, me being who I am, 
I had to dig a little further. And, you know, of course, uh, Kanye, you know, he came out with a statement said, don't let the system pit us against each other or whatever. But um, there was an article by Complex Magazine that went into uh, Kanye's recording contract. So I'm gonna go over a few of this because if you wanna go out there and read it, the, it's a hundred pages of his initial recording contract with Rock Nation. Um, but they just go over a couple of things. The first thing is Kanye was, was famous for going over budget a lot. For some reason, that's not a big surprise to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> some, for some no. for some for some reason that was real anticlimactic that that was the first thing they said. Um they said that in 2013 uh he spent about 1.5 million dollars um for uh, I think it was one video. Let's see what did it say? Uh, a March 2013 memo makes it clear that Kanye went a little more than 1.5 million dollars over budget. And a letter from the year before says that the Cruel Summer movie, it was a movie that that took seven screens to view. I had no idea about that. Also mm. cost also cost $1.5 million more than it was initially planned. And the mm. Cruel Summer album went over by $1.3 million. Now, just that statement alone of you not being fiscally responsible is enough reason to jettison you from a label as quick as I can humanly can. So <laughs> this, this, do y'all, I'm gonna go on, but do y'all, uh, <laughs> Pastor Ricky, that's, that's like, a whole separate separate conversation on that. That's a whole nother, that's a whole nother, <laughs> somebody had to fund, somebody had to fund that operation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, so also it says uh, uh, when making uh, Jesus, uh, Kanye went to Paris for a few months and between a few months in, in 2013. So between January 1st and March 10th, the label spent almost a half a million dollars just on recording costs. That works out that the label was spending about $7,000 a day while he was in Paris. So that is a lot of money. That, that, just, just the fact that he got twelve thousand dollars tennis shoes, bro. Sixteen thousand dollars tennis shoes. Look. I'm not surprised you went over budget. Look, man, that's like that. twelve thousand dollars. Like, no, stop it, stop it. Time out, time out. We're gonna talk about sneakers. We moved off independent, and we're gonna talk about sneakers. No, just, just double speakers. Just, just for a second, because I need y'all to bring me up to speed. Ten thousand dollars or twelve thousand dollars for a pair of sneakers? <laughs> we gonna go back to the independent, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. So, what's your ahead. take on that, man? Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and I've heard some of the same stories from uh, Contract. Uh, I think it was Erica Campbell that talked. She she really educated me because I haven't been on the business side of, of music, but she really educated me when she talked about her deal. The whole concept of recoupment uh, was a term I hadn't heard before. And she she realized that the record company was uh, was I think it was what two or three years or something like that before mm-hmm. they she made money off of that one album the Mary Mary made money mm-hmm. off the one album because of what the record company the they were doing the same thing that Kanye was doing blowing money um, and so it took that long before they could ever before the artists could ever start making any money off the project and I think that's I think Ricky said something about the birth rate I think that's the thing people don't understand um, that. 
you own something that's valuable. That's the reason why they want to offer you a lot of money up front for it, because they know you're going to make the money. They're like, no, we don't really want you to make the money. We want to make sure we get our cut. That's the very traditional record label mentality. See, so what happens is in a record deal, it is a it is a loan. Okay, the first of all. So yeah. when they give you an artist, they give you an advance. That advance is a loan. It's the equivalent of it's a loan against record sales of your project, right? So and what happens is they would give the artist these advances. Artists go and get shoes. They're supposed to they're supposed to take that money to pay to fund the album, right? Right. But that advance that advance generally is not enough really to do anything with, especially if you trying to go get your car. You're trying to get your piece of jewelry, which they know you're going to do that, you know, and you go try to, you know, get your album done. Because what happens, what ends up happening is the artists always end up owing the record label, yeah. right? And you ended up doing another deal to try to eat up some of the negative equity from the last deal <laughs> that you done. Right. And that's why you can have an artist who flops and they can owe a record label 1.5 or 2.5 million. And they're still doing music, and it's kind of like being a being, forever been an indentured servant, you know. And the, only, and the only way that you can avoid that, really simple, is to say no. Yeah. Right, but I think I think it, 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 you have to know your value, though. I think that's that's the the key. You have to realize how valuable you are. They understand that your value, uh, and I think a lot of times people, especially when they, when people come from nothing. You look at all these artists that start literally from nothing. They start in the hood and then suddenly, you know, they have all this money at their disposal. Uh, they have no concept of value. And it's not until they've blown a lot of the money before they come back and realize their value. I mean, you know, Mr. Coleman, you being down in Atlanta, I'm pretty sure you've heard the face record horror stories. And, the you know, as far as the artist roster, I think there's an interview series going around with Andre Risen. He was talking about how, the face record artists, you know, were basically broken living at home while they had hit records. Um, I think the main thing that I want independent artists to get from this is that this is this is abnormal. This amount of money that Kanye was making, because you know, record the record company advanced him, what was it, for the life of Pablo? Uh, they advanced him somewhere around twelve million dollars. And that's for that that's record. Not, that's, that's abnormal. Very you know, you know, they 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 gave him twelve. No, uh, uh, Jesus, they gave him twelve million dollars to make that record, and eight million of it was an advance for him to keep. That's abnormal. That's an abnormal amount of money. Why would they do that? You know, and because because to me, if a record company is going to give you eight million dollars, it's they already know that they can make close to eighty million on you. Mm-hmm. You know, and you have to you have to keep that in mind. And like like you said, Mr. Coleman, when you come from nothing, it's it's a it's a it's a hard temptation to turn that kind of money down. Yeah. But you but as an independent artist, one of the things that we we stress about and what we really want to press is you have to start thinking of your career as a business. You have to start thinking of yourself as the commodity. You have to understand your value and your worth, and so you won't get caught up like this. Because it it doesn't work out for some people like this, you know. Yeah, and you, know, you, you alluded to this earlier that um, the, the reality is now it, there was a time where the only way someone could become world known was through a record label. Yeah. 
That was the only way to get out there. But now you literally have artists that can get on YouTube and develop this huge following, do the same thing that a record company would do, pr promoting themselves. Uh, so it is very possible in 2020 to, to be big without the need for Big Brother uh, record label that's going to take all your money. Yeah. <laughs> you have to write what's that five hundred dollars slice of cake taste like a five dollar piece of cake, yeah. you know. And the thing, <laughs> that's the, the, the thing that I want to tell Independence Man before we get to the next segment, segment man, is, you know, yes, it's very hard. It's very hard for you to get started. You know, sometimes, man, you may have to work a regular job to save your money so that you can invest in yourself. You know, you got to have a plan. Even as an independent artist, you got to have a plan. You know, and no one, no one should out invest you in your own business. Right. Because yep. I'm going to tell you, if you never, if you ever watch Shark Tank, mm -hmm. you know, Shark Tank is a great show to watch because it shows you exactly how people with money want to buy into your business. The businesses that they know make a lot of money, they know because with the ideas that come on that show, you know that business because the person's already making two, three, maybe four hundred thousand dollars already without investors, right? Right, right. But they'll turn around and say, "We well, give you three or four million, but then they own a part of that business. And what happens when you got a multi-millionaire man owning a part of out of your part of your business? They you heard a hostile, you heard a hostile takeover. Yeah, yeah, right. You know, yeah. and so it starts there. So I saw, I said all that to say as an independent artist. You have to take the long road a lot of times. You know, we're in the independent artist market right now. There's yeah. never, ever been no greater time to be an independent artist and to retain all your profits. You know, and it's better. I would rather, and just to be keeping it 1000 I would rather make $200 a month that I can keep and I own it versus to make $10,000 a month and I'm not going to own anything. Cause that's like right. having a job, right. you know. I can always take that two hundred dollars and increase it and expand it. Yeah. What's your mind on that, Mister Coleman? Before we before we turn around and go to this next segment, uh, how I mean, do you feel about how do you feel about legacy, man? I'm I'm a huge proponent of legacy. Um, and good example is with sound. Uh, just recently, I've started. I've got uh, two sons. Well, technically, I've got three sons, but I have one son that works uh, another job. But my other two sons, I'm trying to pull them in and, and give them. Um, a chance to help me in my business. I'm starting to get gigs now where I, I'm making enough money off the gig to where I can uh, break off a piece and, and pay my young son something and give them a taste of making some money without having to slave over it. I mean, the reality is they can make some uh, enough in a couple hours that it takes, you know, in some cases a week to make uh, working part time, working minimum wage. Um, but the, the reality is they, um, I, I say this all the time, my kids, will uh are the best thing that i that i could ever leave in this earth uh they will outlive anything that i do uh another engineer said that basically uh, a sound engineer is only as good as their last gig uh but my, but my kids can live on past that so i've got to pass on things with, to them that can live longer than i can respect respect so now we get ready to get ready to play a game that's uh our like national anthem on yes. this. Let's do it. Show. It's called it. 10, right? So okay. with 10 is I'm going to give you either or 
you know, for you to choose. You're not allowed to think about it. There's no right or wrong answers. We just want to get an opportunity to see how your mind thinks. There's no uh -oh. right or wrong answer. It's you okay. being you. All right? Okay. But you're not allowed to think. You think we're going to kick you off the show. Let's <laughs> <laughs> make a joke. All right. Let's make a joke. All right. Here we go. Tell the sound engineer not to think. Okay. <laughs> exactly. This is going to be interesting. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is going to be fun. Sure. Or Sennheiser microphone? Sennheiser, man. JBL or Mackey? Mackey. Crown amp or Rockville amp? Crown. Rockville makes sense. Persona Studio Live or Mackey Mixers? Mackey. Dave Chappelle or Kevin Hart? Dave Chappelle. BMW 5 Series or Dodge Ram Dooley? Uh, five series. In the pocket drummer or field drummer? Pocket. Michael pocket Jackson pocket. or Prince? Ooh, Prince. Good job. A Rolex watch or Walmart flagship watch? Uh. <laughs> uh, you got a lot of things. Walmart. Rolex is too much money. Walmart. <laughs> I like I like that. I like that honesty. That's what I'm talking about. Call his call his handheld or lapel mic. Handheld. Okay. All right. That's yep. it, man. You did good. Did I get kicked off or? Okay. Um, now you survived. The trip up, man, was a Rolex watch and a Walmart flagship. You're like, we don't, <laughs> we we got everybody watching. I ain't gonna tell a took man I'm gonna wear a wall a Walmart flagship watch. You better. Now, the, now the trick the trick was if you just said rock. If you'd have said Rockville Amp, we'd have booted you off right there. <laughs> yeah, I would never book another gig. I would never get booked. <laughs> Man, and, and you know what? When you buy those, I'm going to tell you, when you buy those cheap amps, yes, the Crown Amps, the higher-end amps, they, they cost a lot of time, three times or four times the price of what you can get. But if you do a gig, and you do a gig long enough, and you are and you turn it up, those cheap amps, Will blow. They just yep. tear right on up, man. Can can I can I ask? It's the durability. Question. Go ahead, bro. Go quick ahead. question, Mister Mister Coleman. An yes, analog sir. or digital? What's digital. your preference? Really? I, 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 am I still on the where I can't think or? No, no. no, no. This is just no. He okay. was asking me. Okay. So, why do, so, why yeah, do you prefer so sound, sound wise? Analog is all day long. Uh, workflow wise and flexibility wise. Give me a Behringer X32, man. I rock that Behringer X32 all day, all day long because it can do most everything I needed to do. Right. Uh, that's the beauty of digital. Uh, we don't do digital because it sounds great. Uh, from what I heard, Prince up until his his last days wouldn't do a gig on a digital board for good reason. But uh, digital has opened the door for some flexibility for us. Nice, nice. Any in the, in the last words, uh, man, before you get out of here? Anything that you want to say before you get ready to go out of here? Uh, just, I just, I want to be a member of the band. I, as a sound engineer, I want to be a mem member of the band. Um, and uh, that, I think that's the best sort of situation. If we think of it like that, I think that uh, helps us to be successful. It helps the band to be successful. Where where can people find you if they want to book you? Oh, I am on Instagram, Be Heard, just the letter B, Heard Media. Um, I'm on Facebook, Facebook, Ben Coleman Jr. Hit the inbox. Um, and uh, my goodness, if you're at a... Uh, Local venue around Atlanta, you're likely to see me. So, yeah. 
That's Look awesome. me up. Appreciate you guys. Appreciate Jay Latrina, my sister from way back. Oh yeah, man. See, we go back, man. We go back 2007. You know, we're way back. D. Ray, any last words, man? That you want to share before we get up out of here, bro? This was this was a dope show. I hope we can bring Mr. Coleman back so we could talk yeah. to. So and bring him back with Pastor Ricky. So maybe we can all talk to Pastor Ricky about his gear addiction. <laughs> <laughs> You know, we didn't, we didn't we didn't even get to the gear part, man. We, 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 we have to talk about that, man. You know. Rick say because he he's up in Atlanta, man. He's up in Atlanta, man. Which, you know, Amen. So yeah. we want to thank you guys, man, for for watching the show, man. We actually next week, man, we're gonna be a bye week. We won't be back. Uh, our season, man, is gonna start October the second. And uh, we're gonna be bringing, we're gonna kick the show off, man, with a surprise, uh, a surprise guest. We're gonna be doing a lot of other things, man, for you for this season as well. Uh, we appreciate you, man, for supporting the show. We are on Roku and Amazon on demand. You can go and watch the shows up as well. They're there. Um, if you have any time that you want to reach out to us, you can. And um, I want to say, man, God bless and good night. Hold on, Mr. Coleman. See y'all later, man.